Well, good morning to everybody here. Good morning to those watching online. And let me encourage us all to open up a Bible to Matthew chapter 7. If you're gathering with us this morning and don't have a Bible, we encourage you to use a blue pew Bible in front of you. Uh, you could find Matthew 7 on page 812. But just before we dive in to our text this morning, I want to provide a quick update as to kind of where things are at and where things are headed here at Grace in relation to our gatherings and restrictions and et cetera. Um, as I'm sure you have all been paying attention, like we have, uh, just even the last couple of weeks, there are a lot of kind of announcements coming out from the various governing authorities regarding the uh, lifting of restrictions. Um, and in some ways, our staff feels like we're a team of detectives, like trying to crack the code, like, okay, what can we do? What can we do? Does this apply to us? Does this not apply to us? Um, there's federal level, state level, local level, and, um, and, you know, I honestly don't even say that with any kind of bitterness or sarcasm because the reality is it's easy to, easy to be critical of the decision makers until you have to be one. Um, but as it applies to grace, since we started gathering indoors last fall, there's basically three broad restrictions we've had, uh, capacity limits, social distancing, and masks. And uh, at this point, based on the announcements, we have kind of uh, laid out a tentative roadmap of how we will lift those restrictions um, over the course of prayerfully the next uh, few months over the summer and in what order those restrictions will uh, be lifted in, um, in that there's not just going to be in a Sunday where just everything is thrown out the window and we're back 100%. Um, but we don't have set dates for those yet, but we kind of have the roadmap kind of loosely laid out, and we will communicate that to you um, in the next couple of weeks. And, and we have a little bit of time, uh, because after this morning, our next gathering in this room will be Sunday, June 6th, two weeks from now. Uh, reminder that next weekend's Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have one service outside at 11 a.m., uh, no registration will be required for that, um, and so it's going to be one regular worship service on the lawn, and then we'll be back in here uh, in two weeks for two indoor services. But um, as you've already heard so far a couple times in uh, the announcements, is that we are going to plan on leveraging our outdoor space in various ways over the next several months, um, starting with tonight. There's the concert on the lawn with the Genesis Chorale. Uh, that's a group that has used our facility for um, probably a couple decades now of kind of being their place where they practice and rehearse, and they have added us to their uh, location of tour dates, and that will be tonight at 5 p.m. Um, again, no registration required for that. Uh, Megan talked about the family fun nights throughout the summer. Um, we're also going to plan on having outdoor fellowship lunches once a month uh, following the 11 a.m. service. Uh, that will be starting June 13th. Um, there will be registration for that just because we can get numbers in terms of food and things. And so our, our really design in all this is just to provide opportunities for us as a church to reconnect with one another as we prayerfully are getting close and closer to uh, kind of normal restriction-free gatherings. And in many cases, um, with the way God has grown our faith community numerically over the past year, even despite all that has happened, it's an opportunity to connect with people, maybe for the first time, and to just put some things in our uh, path where we can do that. Um, but to kind of sum it up, again, trying to be brief here, uh, we're just asking the Lord for wisdom right now. Um, as we yearn to move towards lifting restrictions while not being careless about it. 
And that has been the tightrope we have been walking for 15 months. Um, and with every decision we've had to make, um, may I just ask that you as a church will continue to be praying for us in leadership in that process, uh, mainly and primarily that God would keep us unified with the decisions that are made, uh, staying on mission along the way, um, and just to be transparent, I'm not looking for sympathy here, but it, this can just be overwhelming at times. It can be just exhausting of just constantly having to think through decisions, knowing that everybody's not going to be happy with every decision, um, and yet we've been super encouraged by the way our church has responded to every decision we've made along the way. So we just know, man, we, 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 we want to not have to do registration. We want to not have to do distancing. We want to not have to wear masks. Uh, but, and that day is coming, uh, but it's not here yet. And we um, want to know that if I had a choice, I'd probably be a little too slow to lift the restrictions than a little too fast. Knowing that, I realize that as you wear masks in less and less places outside this building, it's going to become a little less more tenable. Like, why is church a place I'm still wearing masks of all places? And I get that, and in many ways I sympathize with that. Um, but again, keeping just a long view in mind, uh, we want to do this the right way. So we ask for wisdom and your prayers for us in that. Um, and we are reminded in that praying that our confidence is not in us and in our discernment, but rather in the steadfast love and control of our Father. And that's the not-so-smooth segue into this morning's passage. Because the opening words of our passage in the Sermon on the Mount are, Ask, and it will be given. It's an incredible promise Jesus gives to his disciples after this series of warnings we have seen in the last couple of months Ask, and it will be given. You know, I was four years old when the Disney movie Aladdin came out. And with the genie in a lamp who, when summoned out of the lamp, grants three wishes to Aladdin. And he says, here's the basics. Step one, rub the lamp. Step two, say what you want. Step three, there is no step three. That's it. Make a wish and it will be granted. Ask, and it will be given. And growing up as a kid, it became this common discussion, whether you're thinking to yourself or you're talking and arguing with your friends, if you had three wishes, what would they be? Right? You always had that one friend who'd be like, I wish for a million wishes. Right? And you're like, easy, buddy. That made-up wish is not allowed in this made-up game. Okay, um, so slow it down. But you, you had to kind of these common things. If I, if I reflect on my own kind of wishes, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to be rich. This one's probably unique and a little strange for me, but I always wanted a water fountain in my house, but what came out of it was Hawaiian punch. <laughs> a little bit of a waste of a wish there, but that was always on my list. It might still be. But growing up as a kid and growing up in church as a Christian, it was always kind of this interesting parallel when it came to prayer and the magic genie. Because we know when we learn from little young age in Sunday school, God is not a magic genie to just give you whatever you want. And yet, I'm looking at this passage and it begins with, ask and it will be given to you. So even as you mature in the faith, there's still a lot of questions that linger here for us. 
Like, what should we ask for when we ask things of God? When should we ask for these things? How long should we ask for them? Is there a right way to ask that ensures you're going to get it? Is there any prayer God will never say no to? What does it mean when God does say no? Is that our fault? How does asking God for things connect to the mission that we wake up and have and a purpose that we have every single day to be salt and light in the world? A lot of questions that come from a simple line, and so there's a lot to unpack this morning. And with that said, let's dig into the text. We're just covering a few verses this morning. Matthew 7, picking it up at verse 7 through verse 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who, everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The first thing that jumped out at me about this passage is not even what it says, but the fact that it is disconnected from the other teaching on prayer that Jesus already gave earlier in his sermon. If you reminder, if your Bible's still open, you can look back into chapter 6. Towards the beginning of the chapter, Jesus said, don't just pray to be heard and praised by others of how impressed they are through your praying. And then he says, and when you pray, don't just string together these long, empty phrases that mean nothing. He said, rather, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it would seem that this passage that now we just read would fit right there, wouldn't it? Ask and it will be given to you. But that's not what he does. Instead, he continues his teaching on hypocrisy, moving to the example of fasting, and fasting just to be seen by others. And then he warns us not to be anxious about our life, not to be consumed with what you have or how much you have, which is rooted in just a self-centeredness. And then he warns us not to be judgmental towards others, consumed with other people's flaws while overlooking our own, which is rooted in self-righteousness. And now, ask, and it will be given to you. So we're going to boil all this down to three questions this morning. First, what should we ask for? Two, how often should we ask? And then third, how does asking fuel mission? So number one, what should we ask for when we ask things of God? What is it in verse 7? Again, ask and it will be given to you. What is it? Is it anything and everything. Now, as, as we'll see in, in a moment, I, I have some pretty strong convictions as to what Jesus is speaking of in this particular context. But in general, even before we get to that, I just want to say this first. 
when it comes to asking God for things in prayer, here's rule number one. Ask him the desires of your heart. Ask him. Always ask him for the desires of your heart. Because prayer is not only asking things of God, we went through that when we unpacked the Lord's Prayer, but prayer very much includes asking things of God. Just like if you're friends with someone, you have a true good friendship with someone, you're not friends with them just for the things that they do for you. But friendship absolutely includes having someone who you know will do things for you. And the Bible says elsewhere in the book of James, you do not have because you do not ask. So ask him the desires of your heart. Start there. Don't even be so consumed with, well, am I asking in the right motives? Am I, I mean, that's not a bad question to ask, but, but you can get so caught up of, should I ask this? Rule number one, ask him. Ask him the desires of your heart, because when you have a trust in a sovereign God who's in sovereign control and who has an, an, an omnipresent uh, presence and love for his people, we can trust him with what we ask for knowing that his answer will always be that which glorifies his name and is in your best interest, even when that answer is no or not yet. Uh, Pastor Joe reminded me of a quote by Tim Keller that he had in his book uh, called Prayer. The quote is this, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we know everything God knows. Let me say that again. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything God knows. So we start there. Ask. And I know under that, when we ask about things that are relational or for physical things or for health or for gifts or for peace, and knowing that some people, there's a ton of heartache under that ask. And for others, it might be more trivial in nature. But we know that we can trust the Lord because we know that God also works in us as we grow in him. And as we grow in him, those desires of our heart will more reflect the desires of his heart. So I want to say that first. But at the same time, and I don't think this is a contradiction, this text does give us some insight as to what Jesus is primarily referring to here when he says, ask, and it will be given to you. And I would sum it up in, in these two things. Um, one, daily provision, and two, spiritual strength. When Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you, and in this sermon, I think he's talking primarily in context about daily provision and spiritual strength. And the reason why that's important is because this verse in particular, ask and it will be given to you, is so often co-opted by prosperity gospel preachers. The name it and claim it teachers that say, ask away to the God who is waiting for you to ask and waiting to unleash blessing on your life in abundance. Many of you know about Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen, he, I mean, I think he really seems to be a good guy. He seems to be a really effective communicator. And he talks a lot about Jesus and, and faith and loving others. And so uh, somebody might ask, well, why would you, pastor, have a concern with, with Joel Osteen? Well, Osteen preached a sermon on this passage, and the title of his sermon was Ask Big. 
And the message is and was that we shouldn't be people who ask what he calls slave prayers, which is just poor wording to begin with. But he says, rather, ask big, free prayers, meaning don't hold back. Reach for your goals. And his sermon is filled with stories of people who dreamed big, asked big, and asked God ridiculous prayers. And he not only answered them, but he gave them even more. But here's the thing. Every single story in his sermon had to do with an abundance of money or possessions. That there was tuition that was uh, paid for this woman for all her kids' private school. An anonymous donor paid for all their kids for the next five years in full. He said, ask and it will be given. Another person wanted a promotion at work, and they not only got that promotion, but they got even a bigger raise than they were expecting. Ask and it will be given. He said that the stadium that his church now meets in, when it came for sale, he just knew God wanted him to have it, but he had to ask for it. And he asked for it, and boom, he got the stadium. Ask and it will be given point of this sermon was that those who dream big would ask big and get it all the more. So ask big. And as I reflect on that, I have to ask myself, is it wrong to ask big? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to ask for a promotion or, or tuition for your children or to ask for a spouse or to ask for a good friend? No. Does God bless his children with tangible things in this world? Yes. But here's the problem. Joel Osteen never shared a story of a faithful Christian who asked big and didn't get it. What do you do then? Not only that, but the implication, and at one point in the sermon explicitly stated that the, the, the implication is that if you don't get what you ask for, you then have to look inward, because it's probably your fault. You're not asking the right way, or maybe you have something in the way, or you don't have the faith strong enough. Because if you really had the faith, then God's a God of abundance, and you'll, you'll get it. So why do, while I said at the beginning, I don't think it's wrong to ask for anything. If it's on your heart, ask for it. But why do I not think that Jesus is primarily here talking about tangible things, jobs, money, things, houses in abundance? Again, consider the context of what this whole Sermon on the Mount has been calling for that we've been going through verse by verse since January. Jesus is describing the kind of people that are in the kingdom of God. Do you remember how he described them? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. And then he goes on to describe the kind of mission that these people have. To be salt and light in the world. And then he spends the rest of the time laying out how does the people of God actually be a bright witness, and salty. And just before this line, asking it will be given, do you remember what we talked about two weeks ago? He literally just said, don't be consumed with material riches. Don't allow money and things and status to drive your purpose, to be your be-all, end-all, because materialism and self-centeredness shuts out the life of Christ. And then he says, don't judge others and just always point out and be, have a critical spirit about other people because judgmentalism and self-righteousness also shuts out the light of Christ. So it would seem strange if he just said that and then say, ask anything that you want and you'll get it. Because at this point, I imagine his disciples are hearing this teaching 
about anxiousness and judgmentalism and everything else he's saying. And the question they have in their mind is like, how in the world is this possible? How can we do the things that the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to do individually and as a church? How can we glorify God and be salt and light in this world? How can we treat all people with dignity and as image bearers of Christ? As people to serve and not enemies to overcome. Jesus, how can we do this? Ask, and it will be given to you. Jesus is talking primarily about the virtues of Christ-likeness that are required to live the life he is calling us to live because it is impossible without God's grace. The irony of Joel Osteen's sermon title, Ask Big, is that every example he gave was smaller than the actual point Jesus was making. To truly ask big is to ask that he would provide us the spiritual strength and power to be the kind of kingdom representatives he's calling us to be. It takes a big prayer to ask to be poor in spirit. It takes a big prayer to ask to hunger for righteousness. Because to try and live a Christian life without the power of Christ... It's not only exhausting, it's impossible. I have a better chance of beating LeBron James in a game of one-on-one than I do of living the Christian life without Christ. And friends, if you're listening, perhaps you have walked away from the faith of your youth, or maybe you have never believed, and maybe you have firsthand experience of seeing Christians who claim to be Christians and yet show no light of the light of Christ in them, I just want to pause and ask you that in the places you are searching for fulfillment and purpose and salvation, have you found it? Have you found peace? Aren't you tired? The reminder here is that the way to victory is surrender. To repent of our choice to save ourselves, to be poor in spirit that leads to confession and repentance, and then to fully depend on the one who died for you and offers you new life to the fullest. Every person here, every person listening who is truly a Christian knows it's not because they're so great. It's not because they're so moral or strong, but it's because they place their faith in the one who is. So again, is it wrong for Christians to ask for physical things? Absolutely not. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for this day our daily bread. And and, and here in this example, this idea of daily provision, I do think there's an element of Jesus' teaching that does mean that. Because Jesus uses daily provision type of examples. You know, a good father gives bread to his son, not a stone. He he gives a fish to his son who asks for it, not a serpent. That, that, That is an example of daily provision that which needs to be sustained. And yet, if you were to comb the scriptures and look at every time somebody prays in the Bible, the vast majority of prayers in the Bible are for spiritual strength, not tangible things. And when tangible things are mentioned or prayed for, they are prayed for in accordance with how, by receiving it, whatever it is, will enhance the primary mission in their life to glorify God and make 
disciples. So, so let me get practical. Um, when we take prayer requests, you've seen the announcements every single week. We want prayer requests from you uh, to share on the app or the uh, online or on the connection card. To how can we just be specifically praying for you this week? The majority of those prayer requests are for physical, tangible things. And, and that's okay. And we want to continue to ask for physical things like health or a job or things like that. But we always, every time we pray for them, we're not only going to pray for those things, but we're going to pray for the spiritual strength to come around them. Let, let me give a couple examples. Somebody prays uh, that somebody has been diagnosed with cancer and, and, and they're seeking to be healed in treatment. Our staff will pray for healing, hear me, every single time. We'll pray that God will heal them, whether miraculously or through the common grace of modern medicine. But we also will pray that God will use it to draw them and others close to them to himself and give them the strength to persevere that emotional and physical hardship. If somebody puts in the prayer request that we're praying for a job or for a raise, we will always pray that that person gets a job or they get a raise to provide for their family, to bless them in order to be a blessing to others, and to use that gift to glorify God. And we also will pray that God would strengthen them in the midst of waiting for that job. Grow them in that time. Somebody's asking for a spouse or to grow that family. We will pray for that every single time. And we pray that also that God would, while giving them the desires of their heart, would also equip and strengthen them to find their rest in him, regardless of the outcome. So any trial, for, for any relational family pain, and any prayer for just conflict in their home, we pray that God would re resolve that conflict, but above all, we pray that Christ would be magnified in their lives so that those who are watching them going through that trial will be drawn closer to God as they watch them. So what do we ask for? Primarily, we ask for the strengthened spiritual lives of our people that they would grow in Christ-likeness and others would do so as well. That's number one. Number two, how often should we ask? If you know what you should ask for, now the question is, okay, how often should we ask? Well, in verses 7 and 8, Jesus gives these three words to describe the posture and the action we take in prayer towards our Father. Those three words are ask, seek, and knock. Three different word pictures for us to visualize this act of prayer. Those are all commands. They are imperatives. Some of you know this, but in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there are two kinds of imperatives. There's a one-time command, which would be translated, knock on the door. And then there's what's called a present imperative in the Greek that would be literally translated, knock and keep on knocking on the door. Guess what all three of these commands, what form they're in in the Greek? Present imperatives. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. It shows the intensity of Jesus' teaching here. He's commanding a persistence in prayer that shows a level of passion. He says, ask and don't stop. Don't let up. A question that someone might pose at this point is, can we just take a step back here? Why do we have to be persistent? If God was so good, if God could do anything when he wanted, why wouldn't he, why would he wait for us to ask, let alone wait, us, wait for us to ask persistently? It's not a bad question. 
and I would say a couple things. Um, this spiritual strength and the physical daily provision that I think Jesus is primarily talking about is never a one-time ask. We are in a constant state of dependence, whether we realize it or not. I think that's why the English word perseverance is so closely related to persistence. Persistent prayer is required for a persevering faith. Persistent prayer is required for a persevering faith, just like persistent exercise and good eating habits is vital for a long, healthy life. And then secondly, I think God shapes us, shapes our hunger for him in the act of persistent prayer. When we keep on asking for spiritual strength, when we keep on asking for provision, he is rewiring our brains for the things that are most important in life. And when we do it on behalf of other people, we see where can we enter into that story on behalf of them to encourage or provide for them, and we trust that person to the Lord. So let me ask a question at this point. What does it take for you to pray persistent prayers? What is something that if it happened, you know it will not be difficult to pray persistently? Again, for most of us, and we don't need to feel guilty about this, but for most of us, it's something situational. Deeply troubling with our physical world. Somebody close to us gets sick. Somebody's without a job and facing financial hardship. There's a child who is suffering. And it's good to pray and pray persistently for those things. And Paul even says in the book of Philippians that when we are tempted to feel anxious, see your own anxiety as a trigger to pray. Because if you don't pray, you will be anxious. But my question is, how often do we apply that same persistence to our spiritual lives? How often with a deep level of persistent passion do you pray that you would persevere in the faith, that God would keep you, that he would give you the courage to keep your eyes on him? Compassion to set your eyes on others in need. How often do we pray this way for our church? That we, Grace Church, would stay focused on the mission to know Christ and make him known. To not get caught up in endless debates that circulate around us, but keep our eyes fixated on making disciples who make disciples. How often do we persistently pray for the salvation of those in our lives who are lost and in need of grace? Let me give a couple quick examples, one from church history and one from more current in our church. Um, first, church history, there's a man named Augustine. Many of you have heard of him. Augustine was an African theologian and pastor in the 4th century, arguably one of the most impactful theologians over the last 2,000 years. His most famous work is called Confessions. And in Confessions, he writes about his journey running away from God and how ultimately God drew him to himself. And Augustine ultimately ran into every other worldview or philosophy that there was. And he was always physically and emotionally moving from one place to the next. Always searching and never finding. And despite his moves, his mother, Monica, always knew where he was. Which is hard to do in the 4th century. All right, no tracking your iPhone in the 4th century. And Monica was a strong believer, and she would always find ways to find out where he was and write to him. And Augustine writes in Confessions um, that Monica wrote him this near the end of her life. 
quote, there was only one reason, one reason alone why I wished to remain a little longer in this life, and it was to see you, son, become a Christian. And finally, it was in the city of Milan in Italy that God saved him and his sovereign grace. But he used the prayers of a mother every day for 17 years. A mother who never gave up. A mother who asked and kept on asking. Now more current, um, this past year, we were in the process of searching for and hiring an associate pastor. And after we met with Pastor Joe a couple times on Zoom, we decided to get serious and meet in person over the summer. And that first meeting, we're kind of just again, talking to him, asking him about his family, about his, uh, his wife, Helen, and just their story going to ministry, their story of salvation, how God came to save them. And Joe told us, and I hope I don't get this wrong, I confirmed with it within this past week, but I encourage you to ask Helen more, that Helen did not grow up in a Christian home. Helen's sister was the first one in the family who came to be a believer in Jesus Christ during high school, I think, or somewhere in that range. And Helen, at that point, was not only not interested, but as her sister grew in her faith, got more and more bothered about how her sister was changing. And, and her sister was spending all this time at church serving. Can you imagine? Because that time spent serving was now taking away time they could spend together as sisters. And Helen's sister, and this is different from Monica and Augustine, unbeknownst to Helen, prayed for Helen's salvation every single day for 10 years. 3,650 prayers. And finally, by God's grace, those prayers were answered. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. When we pray and ask for things, especially the salvation of others, especially for our own perseverance in the faith and the perseverance in Christ of others, we're not guaranteed to get the answer we want. There's no formula that forces God's hand. But God chooses in his sovereign wisdom to bring things about in this world through the prayers of his people, even while he is not controlled by or limited by the prayers of his people. And so we can pray persistently, and we can pray expectantly, and then we can echo the words of the three men in the book of Daniel who were threatened with their lives by the king who were about to throw them in the fire. You remember the three guys and what they said. He said, we believe God can save us. We believe God will save us. Hear me, and even if he doesn't, he is still good. There will be times we will pray for salvation for somebody and never receive any confidence or sign that it happened. But we can trust him with our prayers, even when the answer, as far as we can tell, is no or not yet. Sam Alberry is an author and speaker out of England. He writes often about his battle with same-sex attraction and his commitment to lifelong singleness. He said this line years ago, I'll never forget. Quote, God never says no to something without a bigger yes to something else. God never says no to something without saying a bigger yes to something else. All right, last point, number three. How does asking fuel mission? One communication technique that Jesus has used throughout the Sermon on the Mount is the lesser to the greater method. Do you remember this? If, if, if this lesser thing is true, then certainly the greater thing is true. And here he says, if you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? That is the lesser, earthly parents, to the greater, God our Father. If the previous point was about persistence, and the persistence we ought to have in prayer, this final one speaks to the confidence we can have in prayer, fueling our mission to be salt and light in the world. A confidence that, again, is not rooted in our ability and our words and our maturity in the faith and our good works, but is firmly rooted in our confidence in our perfect Father. When, when we think about parents giving good gifts to their children, where does your mind immediately go to? I'll tell you where mine goes to. It goes to uh, actual gifts with wrapping paper, right? Birthdays and Christmas and special occasions, or maybe just a gift given out of the blue, but something that they open. And in line with the context of the passage, I think good gifts include provision, that which is needed to sustain and grow and provide for the needs of children. But beyond that, the best gift a parent can give to their child is themselves. Their time. Their attention. Their, their energy. Their interest. Their, their physical presence. And, and I'm at this weird age where I'm young enough to still recall being a child, a young child around my parents. And yet now at the same time, somehow I also have young children. And so I think about this all the time. How when kids are young, and I reflect on my own childhood, a father or mother's physical presence is far more valuable than any gift-wrapped presence. And a father's physical presence will do more to shape and form the character of a child, more so than any birthday gift can. And if that's true for earthly parents, those of us who are imperfect, oh my gosh, we do it so imperfectly. How much more true then is that of our heavenly father? Who gives of himself, spiritual strength of himself, that is far more valuable, that's going to shape and mold us far more than any abundant, tangible thing would. Why do I think this? Well, in, in the parallel passage recording in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this exact line. Did you know that? It's actually a different teaching. It's a different context. But he says this exact line, showing that this specific type of teaching was repeated often throughout his ministry. It's the exact same with one exception. Listen to this. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Let me See if you can spot the difference. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke's account brings clarity to what Jesus means when he says good things in Matthew's account by replacing it with the Holy Spirit. Primarily, when we ask things of God, what he will always give when we ask him is not the tangible things or the circumstantial things we want, but he will never say no if we ask more of the Spirit in our lives. And while the Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells all who believe upon conversion, there is a sense in which the extra measure of grace, extra measure of presence associated with the Holy Spirit is provided to those who hunger for it, who ask for it. And this Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, helps us in our weakness. 
He intercedes for us. He translates our prayers to the Father. He searches and probes our motives and reveals and exposes what is true in our hearts. The desire for the fullness of the Spirit is a prayer that God loves to answer. It is one he will never say no to. It is the ultimate promise that those who ask, it will certainly be given. And this Spirit will lead us day by day. Talk about daily provision, and, and you know, there's bread and there's fish that he talks about, but primarily the daily provision we need is God, the Holy Spirit, so that we might seek first the kingdom of God, so we might love our neighbor well, even if and when our neighbor does not love us back. So church, do we want to be spirit-filled? Hear that phrase a lot. Do we want to be filled with the spirit? The primary evidence of being spirit-filled is obedience to God's word an insatiable desire to know him more so that we can give more of ourselves to the kingdom-building work he has called us to. This is how it fuels mission. This is how it makes us confident people, humble in ourselves, confident in him, so that day by day, we can have the power we need to obey and live out the lives God has called us to live. Let's pray. Father, it is the desire of our hearts to bring glory to your name, Lord, even in our fallen states, even when we do that imperfectly. Father, Father, it is also our desire to make an irreversible impact in this world, as you have called us and equipped us to do in the church. Father, I pray you would raise our confidence in you first, and secondly, in the church that you have built, so that the gates of hell shall not even prevail against it. And so, Father, I pray that we would all reflect in our own hearts after hearing your word this morning, that we would ask ourselves, is this what we want? That you are asking us, is this what we want to ask for? And so, Father, lead us into the pathway of knowing and persistently asking, because when we ask, we know that you will surely grant the strength and extra measure of your spirit to us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.